Well, good morning, Hope Bible Church. It is a blessing for us to be here. Um, yeah, we started at the church 17 years ago. It was actually at the ninth anniversary service was the first time I came to Hope Bible Church. Um, so a while ago now, and um, yeah, it's a blessing to be here um, and to share share the time with you. I just want to extend my greetings from our brothers and sisters in Togo. Um, they are very much encouraged by your work and your support um, of our ministry there. Um, and we are so thankful for your support and prayers and how you have loved us and how you are a part of our ministry. And so it's with joy we get to be here today. Um, I want to give a little bit of an introduction to our family because I realized it was about seven years ago that we left for language school. And in between coming back during COVID and just new people coming even the last couple of years, there may be several of you that don't know us. Um, so my name is Stephen Reisman. I am a family medicine physician. Um, my wife, Lisa, is a pediatric nurse, and we have four kids, Evelyn, Elliot, Elena, and Edmund. Um, we are in Togo, West Africa. It was about 10 years ago that God really put that on our hearts, that that was where he wanted us to serve. Um, and so, as Gabe said, we, we, we went through training and just ministry at this church, and have been there now actually on the ground in Togo for about five and a half years. Um, as a physician, I work at the Hospital of Hope, um, which is a hospital that provides um, medical care for a region that has a lot of physical needs. Um, and it's, it's exciting to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ by meeting people's needs. And that opens up some really great doors for relationships. And God has used that um, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's just such a blessing how how God is using the work there at the hospital um, to reach people who otherwise would be very uninterested in hearing about Jesus Christ, but God is using that to open up some great doors. Um, as Gabe said, we're also involved in discipleship and church planting. We have a small church home group that we are part of, um, that we work alongside a couple of believers there, um, local believers there to help lead and are just involved in other ministry um, outside, trying to seek to see um, Togolese believers in Christ grew up in their faith and take more leadership and reach out to people. Um, we have some other neat opportunities. My wife, as a pediatric nurse, is um, starting a malnutrition clinic at our hospital. She also helps um, a local Christian school there that is doing outreach in the community. Um, and I want to just briefly say thank you guys. Uh, a few years ago, you guys helped raise money for audio Bibles, and we are continuing that project. In some ways, that's a project that grows a lot faster and does a lot more things than I ever expected. Um, but hey, God's in charge of it, not me. <laughs> and so um, we've actually, we've handed out like seven or 800 Bibles in local languages. And we have stories of people who have come to Christ, some through relationships, and that was just leading them to ask more questions about the Bible. And some who we had no contact with, and they just happened to get a hold of them. And then later we find out they've come to Christ through hearing those things. So that's just a brief overview of some of the things God has us involved in Togo, and we're just we're just grateful that He's He's working through us. Um, let me go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump into the Book of Galatians. God, as I said, it's a pleasure to be here, and we are so thankful for this church and the impact they have had in our lives, and just the by extension the, the impact in the ministry there in Togo. Um, and so I just pray that this morning, as we look at Your Word. May it challenge us, Lord. May it lead us to love Jesus Christ more. May it lead us to be grateful for your salvation towards us. May it challenge us to be obedient. 
um, to your calling to see your word go forth. Um, Lord, work in our hearts right now. Um, uh, may this word transform us, make us more like your son. Amen. So I want to just ask you a question to start off. Have you ever considered that the majority of the New Testament is about missions? And I know some of you may think, hey, it's the crazy missionary, because we do have some of those. A <laughs> uh, crazy missionary who wants to attach everything to mission missions. Um, but consider that statement for a second, because I think it actually has a lot of validity. Um, if you think about the Bible, we start in Acts. After, after the Gospels, Christ says, go out and preach this to the nations, and we have Acts. And Paul and others go forth and they plant local cross-cultural churches. And then you have a bunch of epistles that are written to these local cross-cultural churches that they are discipling. There's actually only a few epistles, Hebrews, James, Jude, maybe that are written directly to Jewish audiences. The rest are written to Gentile churches. Um, and then even if you look at the Gospels, you have Mark, which was for the Romans. You have Luke, which was written to a Greek believer. Um, and even in the end of Matthew, which was written... For the Jews, Christ says, go out and preach the gospel to all nations. Um, so I don't think it's a stretch to say that the majority of the New Testament really has at its core this idea of missions about reaching across cultures to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that also in Paul's life. He describes his own calling in Acts 26, verses 16 to 18. Christ came to him and said, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then Paul goes out and what does he do? He obeys that, right? And so he goes out and travels across the Roman Empire. He shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. Churches are planted. And then he continues discipling these churches by writing all these letters, one of which we're going to look at today. And if you think about it, our existence here as a church is because others went out and faithfully continued that process. And so you had Paul and the apostles, and that was continued by the church fathers, um, Others like Patrick of Ireland brought that to other nations. Um, the reformers were true to the gospel. You have other missionaries like the Moravians, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, Jim Elliott, people going out and faithfully proclaiming the same message. Um, and that's what we're doing in Togo. It's the same message. It's nothing new. Um, and sometimes when we think about the word, if I give the word same, something is the same. Sometimes that sounds boring. We like novelty in this culture. Um, if we talk about the same meal, the same clothes, singing the same songs, people aren't getting super excited about that. Um, but at other times, same is a really good thing. You know, if your brother got a car at his 16th birthday and then your parents looked at you and said, hey, when you turn 16, I'm giving you the same thing, you'd be completely happy with the same. But all the more so, when we're talking about the same gospel, that is what we want to be about. Same is a good thing. We don't want to change the message. And so in the book of Galatians, that is really the question at hand. Um, just a little background. Paul, on his first missionary journey, he visited the area of Galatia, planted several churches there. Um, but soon afterwards, false teachers came along. And they were saying, you know that guy, Paul? He didn't quite get things right. You know, he talks about Jesus. Jesus isn't bad. 
But he missed a few things. He forgot a few things. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law of Moses if you are going to be a child of God, if you are going to be justified. So again, they weren't denying Christ. They're just saying he's not quite enough on his own. And Paul gets a hold of this message, hears about what's going on, and Paul is having none of that. Paul is very clear to them that that is a different gospel than he received from Christ, and he is urging them to stay true to the gospel. And so in response to that, because he loves this church of Gentile believers that he has poured his life into, these churches, um, he pens the book of Galatians. And if you know anything about Galatians, most of Paul's letters, Paul starts out talking about how thankful he is and how much he loves them, he even says that about the Corinthians. In Galatians, he just, he goes straight at it. He says, I'm astonished that you're leaving the gospel. He goes on to say, you know, if, if I or an angel for heaven or anybody preaches another gospel, let him be accursed, let him be damned. He just starts right off with that. And then he keeps going and keeps pushing on this issue of what is the gospel. He shares a personal testimony. He arrives in Galatians 2. He talks about the fact that we're justified by faith. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 16, he says, Yet we know that a person is justified by works of the law. They're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul cares deeply about the gospel of Christ. He is motivated about that, and he will not let that message be changed. He is going to testify, we are justified by faith alone. He has another motivation too. He deeply loves the glory of, glory of Jesus Christ. He has said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he goes on to say in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What he's saying is, if you need the law, then why did Christ have to die? And the, the thought to him, first of all, Christ's death and resurrection is the epitome of the glory of Christ. And the idea that God would sacrifice his own son if there was another way is just, he cannot comprehend that. And so he is saying like, no, we cannot give into this new gospel, not just because it's the only way to God, but also the idea that we would take away from the glory of Christ and his work on the cross. Um, Paul cannot comprehend that. He cannot stand that. And so he is fighting for the glory of Christ. And so in that context, he moves on to chapter three. He starts to talk about this issue. You foolish Galatians, what, what is this idea that you can start by grace, start by faith, but now you have to continue and be perfected by works. That doesn't make sense. You didn't, weren't justified by works. You didn't receive the spirit by works. You, all of this came by faith and you have to continue in faith. And then he moves on to talk about Abraham. And he actually spends all the way to the end of chapter four talking about Abraham. Um, and he uses that to defend his argument about the gospel being by faith alone. And Paul's key point in all of this, he's saying justification has always been by faith. Faith has been what makes you a part of the family of God. And that's from the beginning. And it's the same gospel that I preach to you. It's always been like that. Amen. And so I would say you have to give the key point of what we're going to talk about today. It's this. It's having the same faith puts us in the same family because the same promise 
gives us the same blessing of salvation. Having the same faith in Christ puts us in the same family because the same promise gives us the same blessing of salvation. So let me read um, our passage again, and then we'll just jump into it. Starting in verse 6 of chapter 3, Paul says, actually, I'm going to start in verse 5. Paul says, does he who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those who who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So our first point today is we share in the same faith as Abraham. We share in the same faith as Abraham. We are justified by that same faith. Remember, again, the question in this book is how are we justified? The false teachers are saying works of the law, they are necessary. Um, And they are actually saying, no, look at this guy, Paul. He came onto the scene. He's new and he's preaching a new gospel. It's always been by the law. Now Paul's talking about Christ alone. That's new. So Paul, he goes directly to Abraham to support his argument. He goes there to say, we've always been justified by faith. And it's really important because which came first, Abraham or the law? Abraham came first. So Paul's showing, hey, it's been the same way since Abraham. So he starts in verse 6. He says, just as Abraham believed God. This is a continuation of what he's been talking about. How did you receive the Spirit? How were you sanctified? How is God working among us? It's been by faith, just as it was with Abraham. God has been working to bring us salvation in the same way since he chose Abraham. We have the same faith as Abraham. So let's talk about Abraham's faith. Clearly, this theme of faith is important. Um, The word for believe, the word for faith, it's from the same Greek root. Um, And each verse here, it's talking about believing or it's talking about faith. Clearly, this is important. So what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have faith? Well, at the base, it's really simple. I mean, we can write books. We have whole systematic theologies who talk a ton about faith. But at its core, it's really simple. It means to trust, to believe, to have confidence in something. Um, the book of Hebrews talks about this to us. Um, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Down in verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists that he rewards those who seek him. So we see a couple of things. When you have faith, there's always an object of trust. And in in our case, it's God. Faith is based on trusting on something because you think that that object is reliable and it's truthful. And we see, if you think of the chat, we don't have time to go into Hebrews 11, but think of the people there. Faith is not just something that they believe in their heads, but it impacts their life, right? Think of how ridiculous it would be if an engineer builds this great bridge and then he says, I'm never going on that bridge. Would you have confidence to drive on that bridge? (laughs) No, like if we believe in something, it impacts our life and we live our life as if we trust that. Um, And that's the same thing for us. Our faith impacts our life. Um, And I'd like to point out, it's not just an assent to theological facts, but it's also a deep conviction that God is good towards us that he rewards those who seek him. And really, that was the problem with Eve. Think about that. 
her faith, it was like, well, did God really say, did he give you the fruit? Like, is he holding something back? That's what takes Satan attacked, God's goodness. And so faith, it's not just belief in all these facts that we have in the Bible. It's belief that these facts are about a God who is good towards us. Um, and so, again, we could say a lot about faith, but really at the end of the day, it's really simple. We trust God because we know he's trustworthy and that he's good towards us. And so that's exactly what Abraham believed. He had confidence that God was trustworthy, that he was good, that he was merciful, and that he was faithful to his promise. And what was the result? That faith was credited as righteousness. The words count, accounted to him, um, it's an accounting term. It's like a credit you got in your bank. God looked at Abraham's faith, and he saw that credited to Abraham righteousness, that he had met God's moral standard. And this was before circumcision. This was before he had was willing to sacrifice Isaac, the Bible clearly states that Abraham was justified. I want to dive a little bit deeper into this story, though, because I think if you look at the story um, from Genesis 15 about Abraham, it's, it's very insightful and helps us understand what faith is. So turn to Genesis 15 for a second. Um, God appears to Abraham in a vision says in um, 15.1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So he promises to protect Abram. He promises to be his reward. Um, but Abraham has a concern here. And it's a valid concern. Because he knows that the reward from God is connected to a promise that God's given him a few chapters earlier. Um, and that promise... And part of that promise was that he was going to have a son. But Abraham's pretty old at this time. He's around 90. His wife is 80. He knows a couple things about biology. He knows he's old. And, and you know, I, I do a lot of obstetric work. Um, I'm just going to choose an example. If Morag showed up in my clinic saying she was about to have a baby, <laughs> I would be shocked. Because that just doesn't happen. But, but I say that, not just a joke, but, but that's the reality of what God is saying. God's saying, your 80-year-old wife is going to show up pregnant. Um, and so Abraham is he's talking to God. He's like, okay, you promised descendants, but this is the reality of where we're living. And so he asks God, God what are you going to do? Is this descendant going to come through my, my, through my servant? What's, what's going to happen? So in that context, God says in verse 5, he brings Abraham outside and he says, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham hears that promise and he believes it and it's counted to him as righteousness. But what exactly did Abraham believe? So obviously in the, the near context, he's believing that he would have descendants. Of but I, I know I've thought about that verse. I'm like, well, how does that provide salvation? Um, and I would like to actually suggest, and we're given this clue in Galatians 3, that there was a little bit more at play here than he was believing that he would have descendants, but he was also doing this in light of this whole promise that God had given him. So again, remember, everything's happening in a context. And the context of this promise is in the book of Genesis. And what happened in Genesis? God created the world. He made the world good. But did mankind continue to follow and obey and trust God? No. Adam and Eve did not trust God. They ate the fruit. 
And so what happened? What did, how did God have to respond? He had to punish sin because he is holy. And as a result, he brought a curse upon the earth, um, a curse that impacted all of life. It impacted people's health, sickness, disease. It impacted their relationship with God. It impacted their relationship with others. And we see in Genesis just the impact of this curse. But at the same time he gave that curse, what did he do? He promised that there was someone who was going to come from the woman who was going to crush the snake, who was going to crush the devil, he himself being wounded. And so that promise was given, and the, the people of God knew that that had promise had been given. And so it's in that context that God gives, calls Abraham in Genesis 12 and gives him this promise. Um, and the key part of that promise is at the end where he says in Genesis 12, 3, in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. And so again, he's talking about blessing. What is the opposite of blessing? The opposite is a curse. Like that is the context. The, he's talking about the reversal of the curse and that there was one who was going to come who was going to do that through Abraham. And this really is, it's the greatest blessing and the greatest need we, we could, because our greatest need is, it's that relationship with God. It's the sin that impedes that. And if you think about it, without that restored relationship with God, would the promise of the land or the descendant or the physical blessing mean anything? It, it wouldn't. Like, you needed to have that restored relationship with God. Um, so that's the context of Genesis. But when we go to the New Testament, that is how the Bible understands this promise. So in Acts 3, Peter has healed this paralyzed man, and he is preaching the gospel to the Jews there. And he says in Acts 3, Verse 25 through 26, he talks about this promise. And he says, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So what was the blessing that he had promised? It was turning you from your wickedness, from your wickedness to God. And then we go back to Galatians 3, verse 8. And it says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all nations be blessed. So again, he talks about that promise of blessing. And Paul says that was looking forward to Christ's coming and his justifying through faith, all the nations. And we know because Christ said it, that Abraham actually looked forward to Jesus Christ. In John 8, 56, Christ says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so if you put all this together, we see that Abraham's faith was not just in the fact that God would give him a child, but it was also that God's promised blessing would come because of that. And so against hope and against logic, he rested on the character of God. He believed that God would provide him a son, and that son, from that son would come someone who would restore mankind. And so I don't know exactly how much of all of this Abraham put together, but the, but the themes are there, the threads are there, and we know that he trusted to God to be faithful to all these promises. And so in that way, he was looking forward to Christ. He was looking forward to the Redeemer who would come. And so in the same way, just as Abraham trusted in God, we trust in the promises of God. Think about it. Abraham could do nothing to produce an heir. We can do nothing to produce our own righteousness. Abraham rested in the mercy of God. 
we rest on his grace, grace that we don't deserve. And so we have the same faith as Abraham. Um, I like the way that Martin Luther describes faith in his commentary on the book on Galatians. Martin Luther says, faith is an almighty thing and its power is infinite and immeasurable for it gives glory to God, which is the highest thing that can be given to him. Now to give glory to God is to believe in him, to count him as true, wise, righteous, merciful, almighty, briefly to acknowledge him to be the author and giver of all goodness. It's a great definition of faith because it talks, not only do we believe God, but talks about how our faith gives glory to him because we trust that he is who he says he is and that he is good to us. So not only do we have that same faith, but we have the same result. God counts our faith as righteousness through Jesus Christ. And Luther actually goes on to describe this, um, imagining how God is speaking to us. God says, I will accept and declare you as righteous, not for keeping the law, not for your works and merits, but for your faith in Jesus Christ, my only begotten son, who was born, suffered, was crucified, and died for your sins. And the sin which remains in you, I will not impute to you. And isn't that a blessing? And really, the only difference is where Abraham looked forward to God's provision, we look backwards. And we see the seed that came, who suffered and bled and died for us and was risen from the dead, and we trust in that for our forgiveness of sins. So just like Abraham, we have that same faith. But not only do we share in the same faith, point number two, we are part of the same family. We are part of Abraham's family. We talked about these false teachers. We could phrase their question as, what justifies you? We could also phrase their question, what makes you a child of Abraham? That's the question they're, they're asking. And what they're saying is it's necessary to do works of the law to be a child of Abraham. Again, Christ isn't enough. The Gentiles have to do more. They need to be circumcised. Abraham was circumcised. They need that mark to say they are part of the family of Abraham. And Paul clearly refutes it by saying, no, it's not circumcision that marks you as a child of Abraham. It's faith. And he says in verse 7, know this, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. There are two groups. There are the people who are of faith, and there are those who are of works. And that's the question. Which one is it that's children of God? Paul says, no, it's those who are of faith. Um, and I want to just add this, too. Like, again, this is God's perfect law. Scripture says the law of the Lord is perfect, right? If that law can't justify, can any other system of works justify? No. If God's perfect law couldn't do it, no other system can do it. Only faith in Jesus Christ can do that. So Paul is pointing this out. That's what makes you a child of God. He actually talks about this. He develops this a little bit more in Romans 4, and I think it's worth reading um, because he talks about that issue. Um, in Romans 4, 9, he says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? Yeah, that's the question. They're saying it, it's because he was circumcised. Paul says, no, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he had that righteousness while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of those who were circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith. 
that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul's saying, you know, circumcision doesn't count if you don't walk in faith. It's not about the circumcision, it's about the faith. Um, Paul's pointing out Genesis 15, where it says he was righteous. That was before circumcision. Um, and what I think is so cool, again, if you read further on in Romans, Paul's point also is like, you know, Abraham just isn't fa the father of the Jews who walked in faith. He's the father of the Gentiles who walked in faith also. And so that promise where he goes outside and says, look to the heaven, number those stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. Um, he's not just talking about his physical descendants, though he is talking about his physical descendants. He's also talking about the Gentiles who would come and be a part of that family through faith. We know that parents have children, and those children are going to resemble their parents. And so we show we are children of Abraham by sharing in the same faith. There's no other requirement. And what's cool is when you're a child of someone, you share in the same blessing and you share in the same inheritance. And that had always been the plan of God. So that's going to move us to the third point. We participate in the same promise. Um, in verse 8, it says, And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So what Paul is clearly saying is that God always planned to justify the Gentiles by faith. There's two parts to that. One is faith has always been the key to salvation. Um, but the other part is God had always planned to include the Gentiles. It was never about the law. Later, Paul goes on to say in this chapter, he said, it was always about the promise. The law came, the law was important, but the law came not to justify, but to show that you were sinful. Um, to show why you needed Jesus Christ. It was meant to put Christ at the forefront and show just how great he was. Paul's also showing, hey, salvation was never just for the Jews alone. Clearly, God chose the Jewish people, and he loves the Jewish people, and he has a plan for that. And you read in Scripture, he talks about one day he is going to bring the Jewish people who are largely not believing in Jesus Christ. They're going to recognize their Messiah, and he loves those people. And we are so thankful for that, and we're looking forward to God doing that and just how he will be glorified through that. But Paul's also making the point, it was never just about the Jewish people. Even from the beginning in Genesis, when God was making that plan, he was looking at bringing people from all tribes and tongues and nations. And so Paul was telling the Gentiles, you don't have to become Jewish to be a part of God's family. Because that's what they were saying. The false teachers were saying, no, if you want to be part of God's family, get circumcised, follow the law. Paul's saying, no. It's always been about faith. And so he shows that by, by showing that the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand. Um, we've already touched on this. Um, but there was a promise of blessing that was coming. That promise was bless, of blessing with salvation through justification through Jesus Christ. That blessing of salvation would come through one specific person, a descendant of Abraham, who would bring blessing to the nations. He would bring justification. He would turn them away from their sins. He would make them right. And through this, they would have a new relationship, a new spiritual life, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit inside of them, all the blessings that follow. They get to take part in that. And that's the same promise that is active today. Um, and it's really exciting when you think about it, because this is God's plan for history. This is what he's been doing from the beginning. Um, it's not boring to say it's the same plan, because it's a really awesome plan. And I want you to think about it because it's not just a general plan. God's working to save the nations, but he's doing that through 
specific people in specific places. Like when God is thinking about this, he's not just thinking in general, a lot of people are going to be saved. He's thinking about, oh, there are specific people that I am going to work in their lives and bring them to myself into my family. And I'm going to do that here in Colombia, and I'm going to do that here in Togo, and I'm, I'm going to do that all around the world, specific people who you chose to love and to save. So I want to share a story about that, um, something that encouraged us from our last couple of years in Togo. Um, there was a gentleman, he's actually from Burkina Faso, um, lived there, about 60 years old. His whole life he had been um, kind of a religious teacher, leader um, there in Burkina Faso. I don't know if you know a lot about what's going on in Burkina Faso, but there's a lot of terrorist activity there and it's displacing a whole lot of people. Um, and so he left Burkina Faso because of the violence and he came to Togo. But again, he's 60 years old and his only occupation has been being this religious teacher. It's pretty hard for him to make money here in Togo and because he doesn't have any other occupation. And so as a result, um, it's hard to get food that he needs for his family. And um, two of his children become severely, severely malnourished. One of them becomes really sick and he brings him to the hospital. So I was actually involved um, taking care of this child. And um, by God's grace, the child started doing better. It was very close to dying, was starting to do better. But quickly realized, well, if we don't work on this social situation, this kid's just gonna come back malnourished and probably die. So if we really wanna take care of this kid and help him healing, we have to address this question of how can we help this kid who's struggling with malnutrition? Um, and how do we help this family who has no means to provide for, their, for themselves? So what do we do in that setting? And so I got one of our chaplains involved and we started talking to the family and um, this relationship started to develop. And one of the things we decided was we were going to help them get um, food for food that they needed to like have new good nutrition in their family. Um, made something called plumpy nut. It's like a mixture of um, peanut butter and milk and sugar and oil um, and some other things that we were giving them just to get them like more nutritious food. And so as a result, they lived near the hospital and they were coming in every week and this relationship started to develop. In the midst of that, um, he, we give him one of these audio Bibles in his own language so he can start listening to God's word. And he's super excited about this. Um, actually comes to one of our discipleship, um, um, our discipleship events and starts talking about how what the Bible says about God is really good. Even at this point, he's not a believer. Uh, and again, remember, this guy was a religious teacher. He was, he was not committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, um, their family moves away from the hospital about like 45 minutes, an hour and away. Um, we continue some follow-up with them. We actually help them get some sheep so they can kind of have a sustainable source of income. And about a year later, one of our chaplain goes out to visit him. Um, they're studying the Bible, studying the Gospel of Luke together. And this guy says, in front of other people who do not believe in Jesus Christ, he says, I know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ is real because it says so much detail about Jesus Christ. Because he's been listening to the Gospel of Luke. And he's like, this is true. And I'm actually sad that I used to teach these other things about God. Um, and he's part of the family of God because he has the same faith. So, we look at that and it's just exciting to see. And I think of there's all these little parts. The hospital, caring for malnutrition, our chaplain, the audio player, the sheep. And you drop any one of those things off and this story probably doesn't happen. But we have God who likes to providentially arrange a whole bunch of things to, to work for his glory. And 
So praise be to God for that. Um, but that's just one story when it talks about God's justifying the Gentiles from faith. That's just one of millions of things that God has been doing. And the reality is we're part of something that is so much bigger. And so sometimes it's easy to look around and see all the things that aren't going well and get discouraged. But we have to remember God didn't just promise these things. He's actively today fulfilling those promises. He gave a promise to Abraham so that he could work through his descendants to bring the Messiah. And that Messiah is being preached here in Colombia, and it's being preached in Mongo, and it's being preached throughout the world. And people are coming through Jesus Christ. And you're a part of that. Like, think about that. You're a part of that. You're sharing the gospel right where you're at. You are sending people out to the mission field. You are giving. I'm praying that God would even send some of you to go. Um, he also sent Teresa to be a part of that work with us. Like, you're a part of that. And that should encourage us, and that should challenge us, and that should excite us. Because this is how God is making himself look great to the entire world. So Paul uses that to encourage and challenge the Galatians. He says, this has been God's plan all along, to justify you by faith. You don't have to go back to the law. You are part of Abraham's family. And because you're part of the family, you share in the same blessing. And that moves us to our final point, which is we receive the same blessing. We receive salvation. Verse 9 says, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You know, Abraham is the example of faith for us. And we share in that same faith. And we receive that same blessing. We receive salvation. That's for us. That's for those we minister to. That's for people in Togo. All that's needed is faith. There is no need for works. There is no need for circumcision. It's faith alone. I want to share something that's kind of interesting um, because it talks a lot about bless, just, or talks a lot about blessing. Talks a lot about justification. But you also see in this passage, if you look from verse beginning of chapter three all the way to verse fourteen, it talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and actually parallels the Holy Spirit with justification. So in three, chapter 3, verse 2, he says, let me ask you, did you, instead of saying, did, were you justified by works? He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works? And he talks several times about the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 14, he says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that you may receive the promised spirit through faith. It was interesting as I was studying the passage, I was like, well, why is he talking so much about the Holy Spirit? And why is he putting that in parallel to justification? It's actually really cool when you think about it in this context of the law not being able to justify. So to briefly explain that, remember the Jews. They were given the law. Did they follow the law? No. They failed. They failed miserably, just as we all were. Because works couldn't earn them salvation. And what was the consequence of, ultimately? They were put in exile. And there was a question of, well, what's God doing with us? Or is he done with us? But in the midst of that, in Ezekiel, God gives them this promise. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27, God promises, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And he says why he would do this. He was concerned for the glory of his name, and he was going to show that he was faithful to his promises. And so we talk about this. This is God's promise of the new covenant that would come, which would depend upon faith, right? This is the promise that Christ brought. Um, but in that promise, what does he do? He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
who takes that heart of stone and gives new spiritual life. And now we can believe, and now we actually have the capacity to obey God because he has put his spirit and given less life through his spirit. And so Paul's going to talk about that long farther on when he goes on to Galatians. He's going to talk about living by the spirit and how the spirit produces fruit in your life. And so the Jews were like, beforehand, we're looking to the law to provide this, and the law couldn't do it. They couldn't live for Christ, but now we have the Spirit who is in our lives, who who works in our hearts. And so that's our salvation. Again, it's not just forgiveness of sin, but it's being, being transformed into the image of Christ. So that's why Paul talks about the Spirit. So where does that leave us? Um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, the truth of God should impact our lives. So how, how do we put this into practice? How does this impact us going out? Say so the first thing it should do is that we should stand in awe of God. Think about it. This is his plan to display his glory to all the nations, not just to people here on earth, but to do that to the angels, to the heavenly powers. Um, he talks about that in Ephesians Three, he talks about bringing the Gentiles to faith, and he talks about how, um, in verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is how God is declaring his glory on the earth. It shows the faithfulness of God. It shows his mercy. It shows his love. Um, I'm always struck by the fact that, like, I don't know all of God's reasons for arranging the world as he did it. And there's that question of why did God let sin in the world? But one thing I do know that if we didn't have sin, we would in no way be able to know just the depths of God's grace and his love and his mercy. Um, remember, he didn't fulfill his promise to us because we were so great. He did it because he was great. And to fulfill that promise cost him deeply. He had to give his own son. Jesus came, he left the glories of heaven. He came here as a servant. He suffered as he lived as we did, and then he suffered and bled and died. And he did that because he loved us and he wanted to give himself for us. Again, not because we are great, but because he is great. Um, and he wants to show us that greatness. And, and I'm grateful John Piper bring this up in his book in Providence. Um, but he was pointing out in uh, Ephesians 2, verses 6 through 7, it says, we were raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable grace of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We're going to spend the rest of eternity learning about just how awesome God's grace and mercy is. And it's, Piper brings up the point, like the reason why it's going to be for eternity is because you're never going to run out of understanding new and awesome things about God's grace. Um, Again, we should stand in awe of God because this is how he is making himself great. And he makes us part of that plan. Um, look at what God has done at this church. We're about to celebrate 26 years of his faithfulness and the things that God has done. Um, and we get to be a part of his plan here in, in Maryland and throughout the world. Um, I just briefly, in Togo, um, the hospital hasn't even been in existence um, for 10 years, but there are over 20 churches and home groups and Bible studies of believers. Um, people who 20, 30 years ago, there weren't, they weren't reached, there weren't believers in these nations, and God is doing that. And again, it's not because we are so awesome, it's because God is awesome, and he loves using foolish things in this world to bring him glory. 
Um, we're part of the body of Christ. Each of us is playing that role, and God is accomplishing something that's bigger than the sum of all the parts so that he gets the glory for that. Um, he's fulfilling his promise to Abraham, and he's doing that here in America. I mean, even just look at this church. Look at how many different ethnicities are represented. He's being faithful to that promise today. He's doing that in Togo. He's doing that throughout the world. Um, when he said, you can count the children, or you can count the stars in the heaven, that's representing your children. Like, there are people in Togo and people here today at this church who are representative of those stars in the heaven that God had promised to Abraham. And so that, that should leave us in awe of God. It should also lead us to rest on the gospel because that is how God is at work. It's how he is at work in our own lives. That's Paul's point. That's how we become a member of the family of God. It's through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And we have to rest on that to be part of God's family. If you're not resting on that, you're not part of God's family. I would encourage you, please, please, please rest in that. But it's how we continue in our faith. We, we continue to grow. We don't need works to please God. We continue in faith. Amen. And it's also, it's also necessary to rest in the gospel to see his kingdom spread. It really is a simple message that we're preaching. We're saying, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And we need to preach that to those around us. We need to call them to faith. Because the reality is, is God is not working ultimately through our cleverness. He's not working through our programs. We're in Togo and there's some exciting things going on. We, we, have, a, we have a radio that's preaching the gospel. We have a hospital, we have Christian school, we have well ministry, but it's not those programs that are bringing people to Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. Those are just all tools for the gospel. This church, it's the gospel. It's not all the programs. It's not how clever we are with our preaching. It's the gospel. And in a sense, that's really foolish on the surface. Because for me in Togo, what that means is I have to go to someone who is seeking to, whose life is revolving around this idea that I have to please God by doing good works for him, by fasting, by doing prayers, by giving to the poor, by offering sacrifice. And I have to go to them and say, guess what? Counts for nothing. You got nothing for all that work. Not only that, I have to go tell them, and you need to accept Jesus Christ as the only way to God. When doing so means your family is most likely going to reject you. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face ostracism. And I go to someone and say, guess what? None of the good works count. And guess what? Accept Jesus and your family's not going to like you. That's foolish to think that that message is going to work from a human standpoint. And guess what? It's that much better here. Because you're having to preach a message of exclusivity, and we all know that's not popular. You're having to tell people that they're sinners and they can't do anything good in themselves. That's not popular. And so because of that, we can be tempted to, to not speak up. I can be tempted not to speak up because we're afraid, rightly so, that we might be rejected. The world wants to reject that message. So we're tempted not to speak up. But we know that this is how God is going to work, and it's only through this gospel. It's the gospel that Abraham believed. It's the gospel we believe. It's the gospel that others must believe. And so we have to be faithful to it, even though from the world's standpoint, it looks really foolish. So I want to leave you with three verses just to encourage you, encourage you to keep testifying about this gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 24. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles and to those of us around us, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, and Americans, and Togolese, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 3, 16. I will make your offspring as dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also can be counted. That's what God's doing through the gospel. And may we rest faithful to that. I'm going to go ahead and pray. As we pray, if the men can come up for communion. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for that gospel. We are thankful that you came and suffered and died for us so that we could be saved. And I pray that you would just burn into our hearts that it is only by faith in you um, that we are made right. It is only by faith in you that we have that relationship with God. And may we stand in awe of that. May even as we prepare for communion, may we just rejoice in that and meditate on that. And, and may that bring our hearts pleasure that you chose to do that for us. And I pray that we would be faithful. And I pray that you would use that gospel. You have promised that you are bringing people from every trunk, type, and nation into your family. Let us be a part of that. Use the word that is in our mouths from your word to convict people's hearts. Um, use this church. Make us faithful, Lord. Um, and may you get the glory from that. Amen.